Welcome to Walking Together, a podcast all about encouraging each other as we follow Jesus together. I'm your host, Dennis Lavelle. Let's start walking. When I was about 12 years old, I had finally saved up enough money from mowing lawns and doing other odd jobs to buy myself a camera. And my very first camera was a Kodak 110. Do you remember those? The film was a cartridge you just popped in. There was no focusing. You just pushed a button. And the negative was so tiny. And when I was 17, my mom and dad bought me a Pentax 35mm camera as a graduation present. And the negative was so much bigger than the 110 negative. And of course, my mom had an old Kodak Brownie camera. My dad had an old Ansco camera. So needless to say, I've been interested in photography for over 45 years now. Uh, I even have an Instagram account at Pintex Dudes where I go around the city where we live and take pictures of it. And as my passion for photography grew, I wanted to learn all about the different types of cameras. And it seemed like all the cameras had a different size of film. And knowing all of that has an impact on your final image. Because the bigger the film size, the clearer your picture is going to be. Because you don't have to enlarge it as much. I have a few old box cameras as well. They give you a square image, two and a quarter inch by two and a quarter inch or six by six centimeters. And those are really fun to use. But when you compose the picture by looking through the glass to focus, everything is reversed left to right. It takes a little bit of practice to get it right. And photography really started changing when they put a mirrored prism on top of the cameras. That meant that you could accurately see the image the way it would actually be shot on the film. And it became known with the acronym of W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G, WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And if you've ever watched the old Western movies, usually you'll see a photographer with a huge camera on a tripod and and he sticks his head under a black blanket and he'd hold this device in the one hand and it would almost explode (laughs) to help add light to the photograph. And those cameras are so much fun, but they're crazy difficult to operate. If you want to take a picture of a coffee cup, for example, the image that you see in the glass to focus isn't the image you see with your eyes. It's not only flipped horizontal left to right, but it's also flipped vertical, so it's actually upside down as well. That's just the way light travels through a lens. And from what I understand, our eyes actually see everything upside down and backwards too. But God has hardwired our brains to flip it back the right way. Now, my goal today is not to give you a crash course in photography, but rather to use all that as a launch point. See, here's the question. Is what people see when they look at us really what they get? Is what God sees on Sunday when you gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ, is that really what he gets? You see, the Bible is a mirror and it reflects an image. And sometimes we're right side up. But most of the time, God's word points out that we're actually upside down and backwards to everything 
he wants us to be. And one of the things you can do in photography is camouflage everything. Now, usually when you say the word camouflage, at least for me, two things come to mind. Number one, a chameleon that adapts to the environment and he blends in. Or even a soldier or a hunter. He merges into the surroundings. And especially now with digital photography, it's much easier to modify the original picture. We can remove all the wrinkles and crow's feet. We can lift eyebrows, take away double chins. We can change the hair color or even add hair if you don't have any. Uh, You can change the eye color. And I can camouflage a picture to the point to where it doesn't even look like the real person anymore. And let's be honest, this is exactly what we do on Sunday morning as well. When you walk into the church building, you'll probably never hear anybody say, wow, that's some great camouflage you're wearing today. I mean, we'll say things like, that's a great shirt, or beautiful dress, or you look nice, or did you do something with your hair? Did you shave your mustache? But you'll never hear, that is a great disguise. Where did you buy that? And while nobody at church will ask you those questions, God asks those questions all the time. Hey, what are you trying to hide? And why are you trying to come into my presence like that? You're not trying to fool me, are you? And John says it like this in 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So when we come into his presence, what's that supposed to look like? We were in a church where we heard someone say, the iPad screen of the person sitting next to me was too bright and I just couldn't focus on worship. Come on, come on. Let's be real. Worship has nothing to do with the person sitting next to us. Worship hinges on the one who's occupying the 18 inches of space that you're currently sitting in. Worship is an attitude of the heart. Have you ever met anybody famous? We actually met little Richard in an airport on one of our flights back and forth from Belgium. When we see a famous person on the street or in a restaurant, there's a certain flood of emotions that take place. The most noticeable is that initial audible gasp of air. We almost feel privileged to be in their presence. What would happen if we were to start our day, whether it's at your kitchen table or walking into the church building on Sunday, and the first thing out of our mouth was a gasp of air, followed by, God, I am so thankful to be in your presence. Lord, don't let me forget that I'm here for you today. Isaiah 6 records a very personal worship service that took place, and I encourage you to read it right after this podcast, or you can even pause the podcast right now. Read it for yourself, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah looked up and saw God sitting on his throne, and the seraphim all around him were crying out, Holy, holy, holy. And when he recognized the true depth of God's holiness. He knew how unholy he was. And he fell before the Lord and he worshiped him. And the Lord said he needed somebody to be his voice. And he said, well, send me. See, when we worship God in true worship, 
it will prompt us to react with action. Well, what did Isaiah learn? Well, three things that I see from these verses. Number one, true worship makes you see yourself in your spiritual condition. He said, woe is me. I am undone. In other words, I am unclean. And then number two, true worship makes you see others in their lost spiritual condition. He said, I live among unclean people. And then the third thing is that true worship will result in a changed life. Because he ends with, here, my Lord, send me. You see, without change, you're just playing a game. You're faking it before God and everyone around you. You may think you're good at faking it, but you're not. You're not fooling the people around you, and you're definitely not fooling God. In ancient Rome, there were a lot of sculptors, mainly because of all the deities and idols people worshipped. So there were many who just wanted to make a quick buck. They needed a job, and so they became sculptors. Now, most of them were not very good because they had no training. But people who were really good were actually losing money. So the professional sculptors would actually use a sign on their product. And this sign had two words on it, Sina Sera. And that's where we get our word sincere from. But Sina Sera actually means without wax. And if a newbie or an unskilled sculptor was chiseling away and he got to an important part like the face, you know, everything was looking pretty good. He got the eyes and the ears and now he's working on the nose and he gets a little heavy handed with the chisel and he starts working on the nose and oh no, and he breaks off a piece of the nose. What do you do? Well, it would take too much time to start over with the whole statue. So they'd take the piece that had broken off, they'd melt a little wax, and they'd use it like glue to put it back on. And no one would know the difference. And the problem with buying a statue like that was that you would get it home, and then you would tell your wife, hey, let's have a big neighborhood barbecue. Let's invite all of our friends, and we can show them what great art collectors we are. And as the people are enjoying the warm summer day, someone says, hey, look, the, the nose is sliding off. That man was known as an insincere sculptor. And so the professionals would actually put their masterpieces in the sun with the sign, Sina Seda, to show that they were telling the truth. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart. It's a life without wax. It's a heart without wax. It's a faith without wax. It's a love for him without wax. It's a love for your family without wax. It's loving those who need Jesus without wax. It's being sincere and authentic. So what did Isaiah take away from his worship? And write this down. If you worship God and nothing changes, the time has been wasted. See, worship has nothing to do with the songs that you like or your personal preferences or the person sitting next to you. 
It has everything to do with my heart and my attitude. Are you ready to take off your camouflage? Come on, let's be real. He sees through the camouflage anyway, so you might as well take it off and throw it away. Let's live lives that are sincere, without wax. Let's not try to fake it with God or anyone else. Let's be genuine followers of Jesus. Well, I hope this has been an encouragement to you today. If it has, share the podcast with a friend. Go out there, be a blessing to someone. Take off your camouflage. Start living a life without wax. We'll see you next time.